0: IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On the show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review new albums by Jack White and Father John Misty. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the one person who has listened to that John Baptiste album... Ian Cohen, Ian, who are you?
1: <laughs> you know... I don't think that's actually true, no, right? it, it can't it be heard. true.
0: That album doesn't exist. I don't think that album exists. Has anyone heard of that album before one
1: album of the year? Uh, I know it exists. I totally know it exists because uh, you know sometimes my wife watched the Colbert Report, and uh, yeah, so that that's how I and that's how I know who he is. And I think this is. Well, I know who he is, but like that album, I didn't know he made a. An I, I album. looked it up on. It wasn't on Metacritic, but it was on Album of the Year. It's been reviewed by four different publications, three of which I haven't heard of, and another is like a three and a half star review from Rolling Stone. So uh it 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 definitely exists but um you know I I know that both you and I have been told that we need to accept reality that the Grammys are awesome and I think I'm like transitioning from anger to bargaining in the five steps five stages of grief because like I've cut like in the past few days like I've almost come to realize that like yeah, the Grammys are awesome. Not because like I love seeing Silk Sonic and Foo Fighters, you know, split ninety percent of the the awards, but like the Grammys will always find ways to just do the most Grammy shit possible, and that that's like the explanation for every single thing, which makes absolutely no sense in an objective or subjective way. It's like ah, uh, Grammys are gonna Grammy, and it's almost like just fascinating to watch. Yeah, you know, you referenced this that. The
0: coverage of the Grammys this year mm-hmm. uh, seem, by and large, to be very positive, and and I've noticed this trend that as the audience for the Grammys shrinks, the media recaps somehow get nicer. It's <laughs> this weird dichotomy that goes on that where the show seems like less and less relevant. Yeah, But the media is treating it like it's better than ever. I mean, I think the thing that people who watch the Grammys, and neither one of us watched the Grammys. I think we should announce that. Yeah, I went and got pizza. But the people who did watch it, the thing that they commented on is that there was an emphasis on live performances. I think Trevor Noah, the host, at the beginning said, don't think of this as an award show. Think of it as a concert where we give out awards every now and then. Hmm. And I agree that that makes for a better show i mean this is something the grammys have done for a while like when i was on the grammys beat 10 years ago i, I think that's like the last time I, I really had to cover it like when i was at grantland um they had a similar focus it seemed like it was really about performances i remember they, they did this tribute they called it a tribute to acoustic music <laughs>
1: <laughs> like this was like peak mumford right yeah it was
0: mumford it was avid uh the, the avid brothers uh-huh. um Dylan was there, and... Lumineers, uh, maybe?
1: I mean, this was, like, peak, yeah. like, uh, Mason Jar, uh, sort of wide-brim hat era. Right, right. And I just love the idea of doing a tribute to acoustic music.
0: Like, <laughs> why not? Are you going to do, like, a tribute to microphones? Yeah. Or a, a tribute to, uh, you know, bass strings? I mean, it's just it's such a weird way to frame a musical performance
1: but but john baptiste at the in his grammy acceptance speech he thanked all the uh, real musicians so right what's more real than an acoustic guitar you know
0: i i suppose so but it just made me think that is it really a good strategy in the long run for the grammys to de-emphasize the awards i mean isn't that their thing if it's just going to be a concert I mean, how special? Like, what makes the Grammys special? Then, I mean, have there not been other opportunities to see Olivia Rodrigo on television? (laughs) I mean, I feel like, in a way, you just become another TV show, and you don't have that element that I think that people who watch award shows in the past they like the idea of validating art that Mm -hmm. they love or getting angry when art that they love doesn't get honored. I mean, that is the core appeal of an award show if you care about award shows. So to say, Oh, it doesn't really matter. We're just the concert. Like, well, okay. Then I just don't understand like how that helps you in the long run. It it just, I think what this award season has proven, and this goes back to the Oscars this year, that Mm. you don't actually have to watch these shows anymore to participate in the conversation because anything interesting that happens is instantly online and you can just cherry pick like the one moment, and you don't have to sit through like a three and a half hour show. I mean, everyone knows that now. So, yeah. like, I don't know how you reverse that. How do you make people forget that? I, 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 it just seems like an irreversible
1: course off the edge of a cliff. Or you could go in the complete opposite direction and have more of the awards, uh, and like completely de emphasize live performance. Because, I mean, I don't know about you. For me, it's like, I guess the, the, ver- the answer to the slap on the Grammys was Dream Theater winning best metal album in 2022. Like, I want to see John Petrucci take that award and you know give a shout out to all the real, the real shredders out there and guitar centers and Sam Ashes across the globe. But yeah, that doesn't you
0: know, make that, that doesn't bother me. I, I I like
1: tipping the cap to Dream Theater. Yeah, like a I want to see metal metal that heads. though. Like I yeah. totally want, like, I want that real, like Raw, uncut, like, what are the Grammys thinking type awards. And that's that's one of them.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually think they should have more awards. And I think this is true for the Oscars, too. Yeah. That when you think about the great moments, it's awkward speeches. Mm-hmm. You know, at the Oscars, you have uh, people in the technical categories who aren't used to speaking in public, so sometimes there's awkwardness <laughs> there. Um, yeah, and at the Grammys, I, I, I would like to see people actually care about the award. I think it's good when people get mad that they lose. That's yeah. good for the Grammys. People should be debating it. Even when people get mad, you know, that uh, Beyonce's not winning album of the year or Kendrick isn't winning. I mean, they should win, but mm. like the fact that people care and are invested in it, I think that's good for the awards. Yeah. I think it would be better if they actually gave awards to the artists who deserved them, but that's not
1: what the Grammys are, have ever done. Yeah, so you it can't is really an industry that. trade award show. Like it, it's the sort of thing that like John Wilson goes to. Except instead of like home security, it's about like the music industry. So we got to
0: move on here. We we have like a ton of stuff to talk about in this episode. By the way, I don't know how we're going to get it under sixty. We'll, we'll see what we can do. We're going to have to fly here, but. Um, we don't have this record in the meat of our episode, but we need to talk about it. Yeah, it's a substantial it,
1: it's a, vegetable uh, quasi entree. <laughs> it's
0: yes, it's it's the uh, you know it's the breadsticks part of the meal, but sometimes <laughs> the breadsticks are the best part. Um, of course, it's the new record by Wet Leg. Uh, we, we talked about this record last week. We talked about it in terms of the discourse mm. around this band. This is of course a duo from uh, England. They are the most hyped young indie band of 2022 yeah. uh they're after a series of successful singles they're now finally putting out their debut album and uh by the way i need to shout out the the listener who emailed us to point out that i referred to their breakthrough song as chase lounge yes you did Instead of shay long yeah. uh <laughs> and i just really that was a deliberate thing on my part I was shouting out the entourage spin-off where <laughs> chase starts a uh after school hangout spot on an 80s teen sitcom uh you know similar to uh the peach pit uh, <laughs> that's what I was doing but no I thank you for uh, calling me out on that i I apologize for my error uh how do we feel about this record uh are you into this record are you, are you buying into
1: the hype or are you are you a reactionary to the yeah. hype you know, I gotta be honest, like, if it wasn't for indie, like, when when I heard Chase Long, or I'm gonna be the one who pronounces things wrong, and some of the other singles, I thought to myself, you know what, like, I get this, like, it kind of combines the talky, post-punk, absurdity of modern existence wave of bands with, like, the, you know, 90s alt-rock epic clack back against fuckboys type music, and, you know, if it wasn't for indie cast, I'd be like, I feel no obligation whatsoever to listen to this just to you know comment on the narrative. That said, I listened to it um, a few times and I liked and disliked it more than I anticipated. Um, it, it, yeah, I I think the we talked last week about how this is like a throwback, two thousand four, like peak goes pop style hype uh, act. You know, similar to like say the Killers or Franz Ferdinand's first album, and this is also like. A two thousand four Goes pop type album where there's like filler. There there's like a few hits and like obvious filler, and I think people don't really know what to do with that kind of album uh, these days. Like I think there's just the assumption that everything has to be kind of an instant classic or it's trash, and there's not a lot of space for like, or it's just like kind of mediocre all the way throughout. But this is, it yeah I think well I think people have kind of lent to instant classic just because it's like it's so rare for a band of this ilk to get this big without you know getting big on like tiktok or some other very newfangled form of like distribution so um yeah i mean um am i ever gonna listen to it again voluntarily probably not will i ever hear it again uh you know just because yeah i'm definitely going to but yeah Yeah. i mean i can take it or leave it yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think it's a really
0: fun record when it's on, and then when it's off, I it, it instantly drifts out of my mind. I, I There's not a strong emotional undertow to this record to complement the witty and, I think, kind of glib aspects of it. Mm. You know, where, again, it... If you're drinking beers, especially like if in your early 20s, you're drinking beers yeah. at a, at a pre party, getting ready to go out. Like, this is a record you want to put on. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like that kind of record. Uh, but uh, beyond that, I, 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 I'm not getting like a ton of depth from this record. But I do like the idea. And this actually made me like them more when I started thinking of them this way as like Wet Leg being the Stone Temple pilots <laughs> of the talkie uk way that this oh, is like the pop man. version of what dry cleaning does yeah uh you know, like they're taking that template and they're just doing it in a much more accessible way that the average person is is going to get into and that's not a slight to wet leg no. i think stone temple pilots are, are great yes. I, they're a great band um but i think that is how i'm conceptualizing them in my mind they're a more accessible version of this wave of bands that have come out and they have some of the same strengths and weaknesses of Mm. those bands um the catchiness i think is obviously a strength here but again it feels like a little ephemeral to me Mm. but who knows yeah i have a feeling that this is going to be a record that when they make period pieces about the early 2020s they will play songs off this record like if you want to evoke early 2020s (laughs) indie culture this this wet leg record I think is going to be a go to in that regard in the same way if you want to evoke the early 2000s you play Take Me Out
1: Yeah, or like Kids, or, you know, uh, yeah, like all all of the, and we haven't even covered the dropouts, like Use of Music, but, you know, you mentioned Stone Temple Pilots, like, I think we're already starting to see the candle boxes as well, you know, like Sports (laughs) Team, English Teacher. These are real bands, by the way, who are getting signed by major labels.
0: You tweeted about this this morning, that there's a new band called English Teacher.
1: Yeah, and guess what, man? They got Angular uh, Guitar Pop (laughs) Riffery, man. I mean, is there any other kind? Um. Yeah, gotta get
0: back to naming things after like cool, cool shit. Yeah, you can no.
1: I'm just glad someone took the heat off like terrible emo band names for a while. You know. (laughs) I mean, come on. Can't we aspire to names like Motorhead and <laughs> With Finn some umla- Yeah, get some fucking umlauts in there, man. Yeah,
0: get some umlauts in there. Name yourself after something cool. Like, English Teacher? I'm sorry, man. I, yeah. They might be an amazing band. We, yeah. we might be talking about Yard English Teacher. might the actually the year. not be total shit, but we'll see. You know, but name yourself after, like, a snake or <laughs> a hot rod car or something. I don't know. Just something cool. Let's get back to being cool. Uh, yeah. We should talk about uh, the discourse that's been going on. I think this has like been a big thing that has gone on like, really for like, a couple weeks now. Yeah. Talking about the economics of being an indie musician. Yeah. And we could have talked about this last week. That's when the band Wednesday, mm-hmm. who we've talked about on the show. I'm a big fan of that band. Yeah. Uh, they, they did a tweet thread talking about um, going to South by Southwest and all the expenses that a band has to pay in order to do that and how they really make no money from that kind of tour. Yeah. It's, it, it how you're basically expected uh, as an indie musician, uh, because this, because Wednesday got some blowback because they talked about getting an Airbnb and maybe a hotel room. And there were some people online who were saying, well, just sleep in your van right. or sleep <laughs> on some random person's floor. Like, why are you getting an Airbnb? And that being like the, our band could be your life type expectation that, we have for diy musicians that they have mm-hmm. to put themselves you know they, they have to like live basically at the poverty line or below the poverty line if, yeah. if they want to be in a band um and that conversation continued this week stereo gum did a story mm-hmm. where uh they interviewed a bunch of people talking about this the thing that stands out to me from that article was talking about how little bands at south by southwest get paid i think it was something like a hundred it was two hundred and fifty bucks, I believe. But it wasn't? I think some people might make like a hundred. Like that's if you're, probably or, true too. Like lower on, like lower on the bill or something. Yeah. Um, and even if you're playing multiple shows a day, which most bands do at South by Southwest, that's not a lot of money, no. <laughs> you know. Especially you're splitting it among several people. Right. Um, I think we can all agree that if you go to a show, buy merch, you know buy records, you know, spend as much money as you are able to on bands that you love. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the solution to this? You know, what what can we do to make it better for bands? I mean, I will say, like, this: remi- we had a conversation about South by Southwest recently. Yeah. And I know some people, we, we were criticizing a little bit, and some people said, well, I went to South by Southwest, and I saw a bunch of bands for free. It's like, right. well, this is why you saw them for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's not actually for free. The bands themselves are taking the hit. Yeah, at at a festival like that.
1: Yeah, I'm more to the point, man. Like I, I remember one of the guys who was uh, interviewed in that Stereo Gum article was uh, a uh, Cole from Dive, who I interviewed back in 2013 when they were going off about South by Southwest after Ocean came out and they were like really hot shit. But you know, they just talk about it. it's like. Yeah, we played like a bunch of 20 minute sets with like no sound check at the Doritos Locos van stage, and our fans couldn't get in. We were being leveraged for credibility. And it's like, that's not fun for the bands. And at this point, like, I got to wonder, you know, because a band like Wednesday clearly hadn't, ne- like, maybe they need to get to another level, but like, who, like, who, <laughs> if you're a band just playing for like who the fuck are you playing for like I mean you we'd almost be better off like similar to the Grammys making it completely live just like make South by Southwest this like I don't know like at a fucking conference center just make it like straight up a showcase instead of this like you know big 10 uh, day 20 minute set cavalcade of bands getting ripped off left and right just well, just move it to the fucking convention center
0: Well, and also South by Southwest, it exists in this weird gray area where it's a music festival, but not really. So bands aren't being paid Mm -hmm. the way they would if they were playing Coachella or Lollapalooza. Right. It is more of this open thing where it's all over the city. And it's predicated on this idea that if you play there, you're going to be seen by influential people who will write about you and that's going to help your career. I really feel like we're past the point where that's still true. I I I'm just trying to think this past South by Southwest. Do you remember seeing many recaps? I think Rolling None. Stone sent some people. Yeah, That's Rolling Stones behind I a paywall
1: it. though. So I haven't seen that. Well, yeah. But like Pitchfork, I don't think <laughs> no.
0: stereo gum, I don't think did um, you know, spin.
1: The only thing people covered was like the hey, we were getting ripped off and here's our money. Like here's our <laughs> here's our financial situation.
0: Yeah, that's the only story that came out of there. I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was working at the AV Club, and we would go to South by Southwest, we sent like six, seven, eight people every year. It was like a a small army, and that was every major pop culture site would do that, and you would have long recaps every day, and I think back then... (laughs) You know, I don't think anyone went to South by Southwest unknown and then <laughs> they became stars because of no. the festival. I think there were bands or artists that went into South by Southwest with some buzz and all the music writers knew about them. So they would go to their shows and they would yeah. write about them a lot and that would springboard them beyond South by Southwest. So they already had some momentum and then they would get a big gust of wind from all of this coverage. Um, and then at some point, I think websites discovered that no one actually read
1: a lot of this stuff
0: yeah right or or maybe it was social media it was just right. easier to tweet about it instead yeah. of write yeah i mean cuz that's just expensive words.
1: man like you know i it, it just doesn't really make sense
0: yeah i i loved it at the time i oh I, no I'm, this was
1: the best man that like that it was fun but i remember even at the time
0: feeling like is this a scam that <laughs> being sent here because it just seemed from the reader's
1: perspective there wasn't a lot of value it was i was seeing like radio concerts in bakersfield like i'm like this i don't know who's reading this but this shit's kind of fun to me (laughs) is this true like festival coverage in general is there i feel like
0: that's just been pared back i literally cannot remember
1: the last time i read up a straight festival recap and that always seemed like music writer Vacation, you know, yeah, you it, it the VIP was VIP area. At like we sports. don't get we for the most part we don't get like you know benefits or any other <laughs> kind of uh, thing that you associate with like real deal like forty hour per week full time work. But once every year you might get to go to say like Des Moines for uh, a festival where Japanese breakfast or whatever their 2013 equivalent was is headline. It
0: was fun. I mean, I missed that. It was yeah. fun, but at the same time. From the reader perspective, I don't know how much value it had. So time marches on from there. As does our show, we'll get to our mailbag segment. Thank you all for writing. Yeah. As always, it's always great to hear from our listeners. You can hit us up at Mailbag at gmail.com. I want to do a quick shout out to my friends, Dan, Katie, and their beautiful daughter, Cynthia Rose, out in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Uh, They hit us up this week, wrote a really sweet email. Want to shout them out. Absolutely. Uh, Hope you guys are having a good drive uh, this uh, Friday morning. If that's when you're listening to us, Uh, let's get to our question here. I feel like you should read this because this this guy's from your backyard.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, This is from Marco in San Diego, man. Like, dude, if like you, I'm looking at the I'm looking at this question. This guy's definitely seeing me at shows, so feel free to you know feel free to say hi. Um, so am I the first person to write in from America's finest city? That's like San Diego's actual motto. So, you know, this oh, is it really, yeah, that's, that is not me editorializing. Anywho, let me first say it's an honor. A uh, second quick PSA to all artists who keep skipping us on tour schedules. We got a world famous zoo and burritos with French fries in them. How is that skip material?
0: Can I just say quick? I don't think Marco's the first San Diegan. Is that how you say it? San Diegan? It is. Uh,
1: I don't think he's the first,
0: is he? I think we've uh, had other f-
1: San Diego people. There might be, but uh, this is the first one who's like made it explicitly about San Diego. So, all right,
0: yeah. And by the way, uh, this wasn't intentional, but that STP reference that uh, links to San Diego. We're gonna, we're gonna have a, a thread of San Diegan lore. Yeah, we're perhaps, gonna talk about we'll drive
1: like Jehu, maybe you know, Father John <laughs> Misty. I feel like he has a little bit of San Diego connection or whatever. Dan but- Fouts. Yeah, Vouts yeah, and Cohen Winslow. That's right, baby. Uh, So we're a quarter way through the music year, but it really feels much longer than that because this year is so front load compared to past years. Given how stacked it's been, there are several strong releases that already feel like they're locked into your endless. So Q1 check-in. What are your top five releases this year and the one record you were an- eagerly anticipating but disappointed by? So Marcos are Big Thief, Black Country, New Road, Soul Glow, Destroyer and Foxtails—a record that I really enjoyed from earlier this year—but they got caught up in some really bizarre, um, a really bizarre controversy. So um, that one probably hasn't been covered as much as uh, you might expect. And Marco's big disappointment is Beach House. Once, twice, Melody.
0: You know, I like that he basically alternated. Steve like Steve <laughs> yeah. picks and ian picks in his list it was like <laughs> really it was did. perfectly alternated marco you are a true IndyCast head thank you yeah. for uh writing it and thanks also for this letter because ian and i talked about whether we wanted to do a q1 list in our banter segment but mm. banter got a little overcrowded so this letter was an excuse for us yes. to do it in the mailbag so perfect show planning here really worked well um do you want to run through your top five first? Yeah, and,
1: I mean, God, we could start, like, an entire 20-minute segment about, like, why bands skip San Diego. But um, I'm, like, I, I don't want to, like, anger people, particularly in my own backyard. But just say, yeah. it's, like, I've heard bands describe it as the worst of all worlds in Southern California compared to L.A. and, o- and Orange County. So, anyway. Oh, man. um, so San Diego cast. Yeah, San Diego cast, man. Fuck it. Which, which is better known as Inside SoCal. Like, that is... If you've never watched that, like the Kyle Mooney uh, YouTube series, it's like extremely accurate, except for Poway. Um, So, yeah, it's been kind of tough for me to come up with the top five because I feel as if, you know, like I was saying in the Wet Leg segment, not really engaged in the narrative. So some of like my top 10 might be albums I've listened to like three or four times. Um, Number one is definitely Black Country, New Road. Like that's going nowhere, like barring a major upset like that. Just F- feels from the jump like a wire to wire number one number two um cara cara with new preoccupations i have soul glow at number three but like cara, cara is an album i listen to far more frequently because like as great as soul glow is it's like not something you can just like throw on uh you know every day or you know when your wife's in the car or whatever um number four i picked caroline um there have been, I believe I talked about on Recommendation Corner, kind of a offshoot of the black midi UK post-punk realm, but very much like, uh, like Dirty Three or Godspeed, You Black Emperor. I think there's a little bit of this undercurrent in the post-punk UK world of like things getting a little bit emo. Um, and of course, I'm super into that. And number five, I'm just going to throw String Machines, Hallelujah, Hell Yeah in there. Um, yeah real resilient album, super easy to listen to, Um, and I'm putting that in there as like kind of the it it might not be there at that point in the year end, but it's like the one that I, hey, what do I want to listen to? I'm going to throw that on. It's definitely going to be one of the top five most listened to. And as far as disappointment, um, I mean, I think the kind of narrative is flipped on this album because of its success, but Mitski's Laurel Hell, I mean, like it's still to me is just a record that just kind of came and went and like had no impact on me whatsoever. It just seemed like kind of phoned in. Uh and yet it's I guess it's indicative of like Mitsuki's uh power and uh you know market share that a phoned in Mitski album can still do major, major, major units. <laughs> yeah, so um I should note that
0: and I think you did this too, that my choices I did a cutoff of March 31st. Right. You know, we're going strictly Same. first quarter here because there are some April records that I could have put on here that I've already heard that I love. Uh, but I'm not counting them in here. I feel like I, I had MJ Lenderman's boat songs locked into my top five. Uh, MJ Lenderman from, from Wednesday, but like he, his album got bumped.
1: To <laughs> yeah. It is so, not, so we, it's not coming out for like another month or something. Yeah.
0: Right? It, it, it keeps getting bumped. So it's not in my top five, uh, but let me run it down here. My number one, surprising no one who listens to the show, it's Big Thief. Uh, it's as strong of a lock for me as Black Country New Road is for you. Uh, number two, uh, The Weeknd's Dawn FM. Uh, just I think one of the best like big time pop records that have come out in a really long time. Just a... and I think it's his best record personally. I mm-hmm. I love that album. Uh, those top two for me are in a separate category, uh, mm-hmm. and I to me they are both like five star records uh and after that there's a bunch of records i really like mm-hmm. uh that uh could go in my top five i left some of them out uh but those two i think are in a separate category number three is a record we didn't talk about on this show because like when it came out i i liked it but i didn't love it but now i've come to love it in the past month and it's uh painless by Nellafer yanya lot, yeah i like
1: uh, that one a lot that's like number six or seven for me
0: Really good record. It uh, presents itself as a singer songwriter record, but it actually, I think, is like one of the better like indie rock records that have come out in a while. Um, A lot of you know, sort of Radiohead sounding guitars and like big drums, uh, and some just slaying songs on here. Like again, it does it. it, You might think, oh, this is just another maybe precious British singer songwriter, but no. Like there's a lot going on in this record production wise that I think elevates it from that. Uh, number four, IndyCast favorite, Gang Abuse, Angel yeah. in Real Time. Um, just again, a beautiful record. Even when it doesn't work totally, I still mm-hmm. think it's one of the more fascinating records that have come out this year. Just the level of ambition going on in that absolutely album is, is really great. Number five, extremely me choice, Destroyer, Labyrinthitis. Uh, of the records that he's put out lately, you know, this is a trilogy with. Uh, he's described it this way uh, with Ken and Have We Met. I think this is the best record of that bunch. And it's my favorite album that he's put out uh, since Kaput. So really strong record. Um, so we don't have any repeats in our top no. five. Which, which is really cool. I think it speaks to how deep this year is already. Uh, but we we did agree on disappointment, though. Uh, Mitski Laurel Hal is also my biggest disappointment. And mm. I say that because I am a Mitski fan. Damn. I was looking forward to this record. Um, And I I just felt like it was underwhelming. And I won't quite go as far as you as saying that it's phoned in. I don't think that's true necessarily, but I do think that for me, it feels a little bit like Mitski spinning her wheels and caught between being (laughs) an indie star and a pop star uh, and not really landing, for me, in either camp. Although, as you said, she's on the road. She's doing great right now. I think there is a big part of our audience that really loves this record. So True. maybe it just hasn't connected with us. We we could be totally wrong about it, but I'm with you on feeling disappointed by that record. Uh, let's get to the meat of our episode. We're talking about two 40-something-year-old singer-songwriters in this episode. <laughs> two guys at an interesting point in their career, Yeah, I think. They both commanded the zeitgeist at one point, mm-hmm. and now they're in this different phase where... I think in the case of one of these people, I think it was a deliberate retreat from the zeitgeist. Uh, But it's interesting how we're going to talk about these records, how they're going to be assessed. Um, The first one, of course, is Jack White. His new album is called Fear of the Dawn. Mm. It's the first of two albums he's putting out this year. Uh, The second comes out in July. It's called Entering Heaven Alive. And that record is supposed to be, he's described it as a Sunday morning record he uh he's released one song from it already it was this pretty acoustic song and it it feels like maybe the whole record is in that vein Hmm. um fear the dawn is the opposite of that this is uh one of the more bonkers records uh that jack white has made in his career um it feels in many ways like an extension of his previous record boarding house reach which was an album where in very uncharacteristic fashion, he started working with Pro Tools. Yeah. Uh, started using sampling. It really embraced more of a chaotic style of songwriting where there's like a lot of different parts to his songs and sometimes they don't always fit, but it's an interesting progression. Um, I feel like I was one of the only critics who liked Boarding House Reach. I don't even know <laughs> if you listen to that record. Um, but for me, I feel like Jack White is in his 80s Dylan phase where Mm. it's kind of like a wilderness period and he's embracing technology in a Mm. way that he never has before in kind of an awkward way but you know i'm someone who loves 80s dylan and i think (laughs) with jack white he's such a control freak that to see this guy a little out of his element is Mm. actually a really kind of exciting thing um and i have to say like this album, I found myself enjoying it a lot more than I thought it would. Huh. Um, I feel like it's the most metal record he's made. It's the riffiest <laughs> record he's made in a long time. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Jack White decided to make a Queens of the Stone Age album. Like that's how this record sounds to me. Like where are you at?
1: Because I I you haven't really kept up with Jack White. No, the the if I'm being like completely honest, the last Jack White project like I actively listened to like repeatedly. Like I, where I bought it and I listened to it and, you know, I absorbed it was like actually kept behind me, Satan. So oh, we're wow. talking like a 16 year latency period. That album got a lot of burn between X and Y and the first clap your hands say yeah album in summer of 05. But um, yeah, I mean, with, with, with you know, like I, uh, as with that, it's just not a band I've ever connected to on an emotional level. Not even to the same degree that the Strokes did. And, you know, I, I kind of respect what Jack White does. Um, but, you know, with him as an artist, he's sort of like a long-running television show where, like, for whatever reason, you just miss a season or two. And then it's like, well, fuck, man. I don't want to catch up on this. But um, I came into this, like, super fresh knowing nothing besides that there was a Q-tip song uh, or a Q-tip feature that with a Cab Calloway sample yes. that people thought was absolutely fucking awful. And in my mind, I couldn't imagine it being good. Look... I actually enjoyed this out like, I enjoyed this album, like, way more than I expected. And, you know, I think it's funny that you mentioned uh, it being sort of Jack White making a Queens of the Stone Age album. That, to me, sounds really unenjoyable. Like, this <laughs> is him, kind, there's some, like, new metal elements to it. Like, not, well, I mean, there is rapping, come to think of it, but just, like, these really exaggerated guitar tones and... Um, He's, like, screaming a lot more. You know, like, how much I'm going to return to this album? Probably not a hell of a lot. But um, this... I'm surprised you said, like, Dylan and not, like, say, Neil Young's, like, more wilderness periods. Because I think, like, Jack White has more kind of, like, curmudgeon. Like, even when he's, like, being clearly kind of dumb, he's still sort of right about things. Yeah, I mean... Uh, in my review, I
0: compared this album. I, I said that he's in his Empire Burlesque period, which is Bob Dylan album from '85, uh, where I'll have to he take your was word working. <laughs> yes, take my word for it. it. That was the album where he really tried to update his sound with like '80s style production. Okay. So there were a lot of you know, there's some drum machines on there. There's synthesizers. He did like a dance remix of like one of his songs. That's um, <laughs> sick. And it, so it reminds me of that with Jack White, just because I think Dylan and White both are pretty stubborn Luddites when it comes to technology. And so to hear Jack White, again, embrace this more cut and paste style of music making, I think is pretty interesting, even if I don't think it's totally his bag. Like, I do think that in the context of his career, these albums, I I just feel like some point, and maybe it's going to be this next record that comes out in July, he's going to return to that more primitive White Stripes style of, of record making and people are going to go crazy for it, right? You know, because they're going to have this as a counterpoint. And uh, again, but I say that as a person who appreciates what he's he's doing on these records, I will say like the first three songs on this album are really great. It's like, yeah, you know, they kick ass, yeah. And it, and then Heidi Ho comes on, and I'm I'm with you. Like I don't hate that song, yeah. It, but, but 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 the momentum, but... yeah. There, there's like like the middle part of the record is more of these. Uh, sort of rock hip-hop hybrids that feel like experiments but not fully fledged songs. Yeah. I think I think the first three songs and the last three are really good. And yeah, it's uh but the first three are just him, like you said, kind of working in this overheated, over-amped, over-driven rock mode where it's really riffy, really fast. Each song is about two, three minutes long. Um, and it's just a reminder that like Jack White is one of the remaining people in music who can still write really good guitar riffs. Yeah. I mean, that's that. I feel like that, and I know there is like a lot of hardcore bands and metal bands and punk bands, obviously, who are writing riffy kind of music. But I'm talking about the kinds of riffs, riffs that like that soccer stadiums, Guitar can sing.
1: Center. Like, I'm going to get right. the fucking SG off the wall and no, it's intention a little of bit different. It. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean. You know, again, I'm not slighting other heavy bands. There's obviously a lot of heavy bands out there, but you know, not everyone is Jimmy Page. You know, not everyone's writing those kinds of riffs yeah, that exactly. feel iconic. And I think Jack White still has like a little bit of that magic in him, and that's why I'm still interested in what he's doing. Uh, so, again, I think this record, if you go into it with A fun attitude, and you lean into the eccentricity of it, I think it's actually a pretty fun record to listen to.
1: Yeah, I kind of wish that I would, you know, we talked about All Music Guide on a previous episode. Like, I I just wish I was like 21 years old, like sorting through Jack White's All Music Guide entry and just going through a Jack White phase because I mean, this is, this seems like the sort of album that I would like. Really enjoy because it's not, say, you know, Elephant or right. the, the ones that are, like, largely seen as, like, the iconic Jack White works. Yeah, I, he's, he's really at an interesting point in his career. I do wonder if he
0: is going to have his version of Time Out of Mind. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like where, that was exactly he, what I thought. He gets the Grammy now. Because, you know, Blunderbuss, his first solo record, that got an Album of the Year nomination. You know, and ah. it was like pretty well received huh. in its moment, and I think that's a good record. Okay, uh, Lazaretto, I think, is, is fine, Boarding House Reach, I like just because it's so crazy, yeah. And uh, this one, I think, is better than Boarding House Reach. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I really think this is like some of his best music that he's made in a while. Uh, if, if not, you know, definitely bonkers, definitely off the wall, yeah. Uh, but again, I think. That's better than him just doing another Jack White record. I, I, I appreciate him
1: branching out. Are we eventually going to get him and Julian Casablancas like making an album together? It feels like that just needs to happen.
0: That'd be interesting. Yeah, or uh, just some return of rock generation elder statesman. Maybe like, you know, when uh, they're in their 60s and they're wearing
1: fedoras. Yeah, you know, they or could just maybe they make of... a rap rock album together with like their <laughs> weirdest, worst ideas. That's probably more likely, actually. Yeah, that's what I'm wanting.
0: By the way, when's when's the voids coming out with a new album? I'm i I've I've done full circle on the voids. I'm way into like whatever they do next. That's a that's a speaking of bonkers, yeah. rock bands. Uh, they're a fun band. That, band, chaotic that, that good. record, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that record, virtue. I think was their last album. That, that's a good record. Well, let's move on to the second middle-aged singer-songwriter that we're talking about in this episode, and that is Father John Misty. Uh, he's putting out his first record in four years. I, I guess that's another parallel here. They Jack and Father John Misty both hadn't put out new music since 2018. Uh, the new Father John Misty record, his fifth, is called Chloe in the Next 20th Century. Mm-hmm. Um, and I reviewed this album as well this week. And uh, basically, in my review, I, I'm a fan of this record. I think that it has some of his best songwriting that he's, that he's ever done. I also think it's by far the least accessible record mm-hmm he's ever made under the Father John Misty name. Some of that has to do with the music. You know, he's dabbling in this sort of cocktail jazz slash bossa nova uh, mm. guys on, on some of the songs. I mean, half the songs are are him working still in that Southern California 70s type pop sound. Straight in Father also... John Misty world, yeah. Yeah, but there's also a lot of songs that are delving into music, you know, from like the mid 20th century, you know, really going back like pre-rock type music so that might be something that's difficult for people but i think what's even more difficult is that this is the least father john misty centric album Hmm. that father john misty has made like if you look at the the previous records it's basically exaggerated autobiography you know where he's directly referencing himself in his songs either as misty or as josh tillman you know the last record mr tillman being the single writing about his breakdown that he had uh, that that sparked this six week uh, you know sort of exploration of the soul that that record is about um, this record is all songs about other people it's it's like a collection of short stories and not having the misty character in these songs it's a little bit like watching Mad Men and not seeing John Draper you know <laughs> and and I think for some people that's going to make this record a little harder to access right. because this character that you've come to love he's not on this album so you have to have a little bit more patience to, I think, appreciate what he's doing. I think it requires, uh, you know, I I really think that the that the craft of this record is what elevates it, not the drama that you get from from the other records. So again, I love this record. I think he passes the five albums test. Oh, here we go. I wonder how people are going to feel about it. Like, what what did you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it's like his first album since 2018, and I think it's like is with father john misty like for like four years no yeah it's four years i i lost the ability to do math for a little bit i mean like 2018 was like the year of astro world that was like the year of like cardi b and black panther uh that is like a frozen and amber historical period and you know he father john misty as like he's like almost like a satellite of the central narrative now like cuz i mean Mitski and Beach House put out albums this year their first since 2018 and i think both of them have still managed to like whether it's through influence or just being like kind of star like star power have managed to stay in the discourse but like now like Father John Misty it's very it's you know it's still a big event but it doesn't really say much about anything other than father John Misty, which I think is kind of like what he was going for in the first place. Like to get be to not have every, like have his art viewed through the prism of like what you think about like Josh Tillman's interviews. So like with Jack White, I kind of came into this a little bit fresh. Um You know, I kind of, li- I listened to God's favorite customer once or twice. It kind of blew right past me and, you know, I I really wanted to like pure comedy just because, uh, just to be kind of contrarian because everyone was seeming to like you know hate on him for being interesting, uh. But you know, again, that was just kind of a little too much for me to handle. And, um, you know, with this record, I really enjoyed your review and also thinking that like this is an album I'd rather read about than listen to because the lyrics and like the the character sketches just breezed right past me because the music is so fucking smooth. And I mean that like almost the I that's kind of what the music is supposed to do, but um yeah, I think it kind of just rewards people who listen to it because they like they want to know what Josh Tillman has to say about the world as opposed to someone who is keeping up with the Father John Misty uh you know cottage industry the same way that i listen to the wet leg album because like you know this is what you need to do in order to uh you know stay up to date
0: yeah it it is a record that i think because it's so pretty mm-hmm. that it can lull you into this sense of numbness you know he's really leaning on this songwriting tactic where you have really pretty music and then the lyrics slowly Release like a poison capsule into your ears. And he's doing it in a very subtle way. Like, there's a song called We Could Be Strangers, which starts out as it seems like it's this back and forth between this couple that's just met and they're having like this romantic encounter. And then by the end of the song, you realize that they've been in a car accident and they're about to die, you know, and this whole thing is, but it's like, there's a lot of songs like that, that reveal themselves at the end, almost like a novel that comes together in the final, you know, page. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it it can be really, I think easy to breeze past that. I could say that for myself, that this was a record. It took me a while to get into it. You know, I've had this album for, for a few months now. And, uh, you know, it didn't grab me in the same way that his other records have. And I suspect that that's how people are going to react. As far as like, you know, your point about the discourse right now, if I can make a comparison to Pearl Jam, (laughs) without looking like a total cliche or a caricature of myself, I would just say that I think there's a similar thing to what Pearl Jam did in the 90s where, you know, they deliberately took themselves out of the media. You know, they didn't make music videos. They didn't do interviews, you know. Josh Tillman hasn't done an interview, I think, in about five years. Uh, mm. You know, th- There's been no album cycle for this record at all. And to me, it echoes what he's done in his songs. Like, he's taken himself out of the media. Right. He's also taken himself out of the songs. And now he's more like a director mm. than like a leading man in his own music. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I-, I wish he would do interviews because I think he's Seriously. a great talker. I, I miss him doing that but i understand why he did that and and why he might just want his record to stand on its own so yeah i it's an interesting thing that that's the comparison i would make with 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 pearl jam and and father john misty and people can make fun of me i welcome it i am a caricature of myself but i do think that there is a similarity there that's worth pointing out Mm.
1: yeah it's like when andre 3000 stopped rapping like, you yeah, this is like Father John Misty stopping, stop doing interviews. It's like you are preternaturally gifted. You are denying the people what they want. I think that I feel <laughs> as if in two some odd years, maybe we'll get like that one big like interview with New York Magazine or like he like does an interview with Isaac Schotner or whatever, where it's like the, we got the Father John or maybe Father, maybe I saw today like uh, Donald Glover in an Interview Magazine interviewed himself. Maybe that's what we're going to get from uh, Josh Tillman.
0: well, i I, I do think, and, and you alluded to this earlier that I he does seem like he's in his own world right now, mm-hmm. that's not connected to to the larger indie world. Yeah, good for him. and And I'm not going to use the reaction to my review as a barometer for the state of his career, but I will say like you know, there wasn't like a huge response to like mm-hmm. the review I wrote like that I, I, that I might have expected for a record. Like that, it just seems like in general the anticipation for this album is is a little bit muted. You know, it, it doesn't, oh, yeah. have... especially compared to Wet his more zeitgeist theme. You know, Wet Leg or even like your comedy era. You oh, know, of where, course, yeah, where he was really a driver, and uh, it it seems like again that that, that there is. function of him just being around for a while you're not always going to have that kind of moment but it does seem more deliberate in his case than it is for other people i think if he wanted that he could have done some interviews that would have kept this record in the conversation i think it's going to be one of those albums that like if you love father john misty you're going to get into this album you're going to want to see him live and he's still going to have a big career it just won't be as like this media
1: figure that he was
0: you know, about five years
1: ago or so. Yeah, but you know what? Like, may maybe maybe him and Jack White get together, and we have like a week long indie cast <laughs> talking about like their meeting of the minds. Uh, we keep
0: we keep pairing Jack White up with people. First, it was Julian Casablancas, and now it's Father John Misty. Maybe those
1: three could be like the traveling Willberries. I got a crazy idea of who Jack White can meet up with, and I think this album's gonna be fan fucking tastic. Meg White. <laughs> That would be amazing. Yeah. Yes, let's make Those that happen. Those two need to get together at some point.
0: We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first?
1: All right. So, yeah, this is as much as talking about Father John Misty and Jack White is like kind of wheelhouse uh, indie cast as a whole stuff. Recommendation corner, I am going straight up into like Ian Cohen fan fiction type bands. Uh, This band called Tree River. I'm pretty sure they moved from San Diego to Brooklyn. Uh, If I'm wrong about that, please correct me. But uh, last week they released a new album called Time Being. It's got artwork from, it's got that Los Campesinos artwork going on. Uh, One of the guys in the band is named Phil Cohen. Uh, and they thank oh, someone wow. they, in the thank yous it says Ira Cohen which is the name of my uncle but like I'm pretty sure it's not the same guy um, it's got <laughs> Max Bemis from Say Anything doing guest vocals and I mean this is the sort of album that like is really up my alley and just by nature of me not being as engaged with um, the promo piles that I used to be it kind of slipped by me look y'all on Bandcamp it, it says if you like Tree River you may also like home is where dog leg origami angel a great big pile of leaves and anxious like that's all true um, it's very it's a very earnest at times maybe just like a little too cutesy with the lyrics but like in a way that I find appealing uh, very anthemic uh, just like I I think stereo come called it a massive emo outpouring I agree with that. Uh, If you like massive emo outpouring, one degree of separation from Los Campesinos type music, uh, this is the best game in town. Um, I'm I'm just really, really charmed by this album. It's very well constructed. They know what they're doing. It's not a sloppy kind of basement emo album. It's like one that reminds me of like, the last song reminds me a little bit of Jimmy Eat World's 23. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Wow, man. See, this is like the John Patisse record where I don't know if this act- actually exists. This seems almost too perfect for you. You might have made this album up. I'm going to look on Bandcamp to make sure you're not pulling my leg. Because, again, this is like Ian Cohen made a band in a lab. Yeah. You know, <laughs> now, now, now it exists. Well, I
1: think um, it's, that's why I was a little skeptical of it, you know? like when Whenever I see something that is like a little too geared to my... I I almost feel a little bit sorry for the band, you know. It's like, well, I hope you I hope you've like you know broadened your scope, because uh, you know God knows what I can do for bands. But yeah, it's I, I got past my initial skepticism of it, and it's a great record.
0: So my choice this week, it's similar for me that this band I feel like is just pitched straight down the middle. For me to, to love them, and I think maybe I was a little initially resistant to them for that reason, but I've now gone all in on this band. They're from Texas. They're called Good Looks. Uh, their record, Bummer Year, is out today, and I... I got a copy of this record last fall and the publicist actually said, this is a heartland rock band. I think you would enjoy. And in the video for the first single, which is called almost automatic, they're playing in an actual farm field. (laughs) And I was like, wow, you don't get more heartland rock than that. Um, and I've talked about that song, I think in a previous episode, because that really is one of my favorite songs of the year. I mean, that song, it was like, yeah, you told me I would love it. I heard it. You're right. I love it. This is a great song. Uh, and, I've heard people compare it to some of the more recent Strand of Oaks records, which I think is an apt comparison. Mm. I think of the Bodines when I listen to this album. The Bodines! Oh! And that's because I'm from Wisconsin. Yes, of course.
1: You're you're contractually obligated to mention your book and the Bodines. The Bodines, but
0: trust me, I I mean that as a compliment. You know, just again, that really vibey, big hearted, big guitars, nice harmonies type rock music. Uh, I just want to get into that all the time and the other thing i appreciate about this record is and we've talked about this that you know it feels like every band that gets buzz is from new york or los angeles or they're from england and they're all singing about the same sorts of stuff and this is definitely a record that represents like a small town middle american point of view like the the title track is talking about you know being friends with trump supporters in your town and knowing like, like i hate what they believe in but i also know that they're good people and i'm not going to define them just by that and just the conflicts of of going through that uh, type of thing i think that's a very relatable sentiment that you don't hear articulated in a lot of songs and that that connected with me when i when i heard it among many things on this record but again really nice record it breezes by in about a half hour and again Almost Automatic, one of the best songs of the year. So mm-hmm. definitely get into that record if you get the chance.
1: Yeah, I like this one too. It, it gives me like this kind of alternate reality that I'm like 22 years old, like living with like eight people in an Austin house, like, you know, yep. just drinking a Shiner Bach on like my porch. And yeah, I mean, that's like obviously not my reality, but you know, that's kind of like what, the, it just reminds me of the life I kind of wanted to live at 22.
0: Yes, exactly. Yes, it, it, it definitely took me back to there as well. Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.